John Piper has rightly said that when it comes to world missions, followers of Christ have only three options. You've heard them before from this pulpit. Let me repeat them. We can go. We can send those who go. Or we can disobey. Jesus simply hasn't left any other options open to us. Let me say it again. We can go out for the sake of the name, crossing cultures, crossing language barriers, sometimes crossing oceans. We can do that. Or we can send those who do that, or we can be disobedient. Now, most of us will not leave home to minister on the mission field, though I wish that were not the case. I wish more of us would go. I wish more of us would pray about going. But the truth is most of us will not leave home to minister at the ends of the earth, which means that most of us here today are senders. That is, we are called to send and support those who God raises up to go to the ends of the earth. I wonder, does sending missionaries seem thrilling or exciting or exhilarating to you? Does it move your heart? Does it impassion you, this thought of sending missionaries? Well, it certainly was a passion for one godly old man named John. For him, it was a calling of paramount importance. Now, keep in mind that John actually heard the heartbeat of Jesus, the literal beating heart of the Savior as John laid his head on our master's breast. John heard with his very own ears the giving of the Great Commission to make disciples of all the nations. And this man, John, was excited about caring for missionaries. Turn with me to 3 John. I want to read verses 1 through 8. The elder, that's John, To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to, to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. It is worth noting in this passage what makes this godly old man so very happy. He says, I rejoiced when I heard what you had done, Gaius. What Gaius had done invoked joy in the heart of this godly old saint it caused him to celebrate. It says he rejoiced. 
Well, what did Gaius do? Friends, he cared for missionaries. We don't know the exact details of the story. We have to fill in the white space here. I think we're allowed to do that. There was probably some itinerant missionaries going through Gaius's town. And they needed some assistance because they'd been on the front lines of the war effort, so to speak. And what did Gaius do? He probably opened up his home to them. He took care of them. And John, who was friends with these itinerant missionaries, heard about it and he said, these itinerant servants who were out proclaiming the gospel, they went before the church, Gaius, and they testified that you took good care of them, that you met their needs. I've entitled this morning's message, Caring for Missionaries in a Manner Worthy of God. I took it right from the text. In order to care for missionaries in a manner worthy of God, we need at least two things. Number one, we need to know certain things. And two, knowing these things will inform us about what we should be doing. So we need to know and we need to do. And we see this pattern in scripture. The knowing always comes before the doing. In fact, maybe you've heard it said this before. Knowing comes before doing and shapes doing. And I believe that's true. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start with a philosophical analysis about missionary care that will speak to our hearts and our heads. This is the knowing part. And for this, we're going to look to 3 John. We're going to unpack some truths. And then we're going to move over to the book of Philippians and we're going to do a practical analysis. This is the doing part. This is what it looks like when these truths about missionary care are expressed and actually lived out. But again, let's start first here in 3 John. I want you to notice that the care should be complete. If you want to send missionaries in a manner worthy of God, the care should be complete. Verse 6, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worthy of God. This carries with it the idea of thoroughness. If your care for missionaries is going to be worthy of God, folks, it will not be shoddy care. It will not be second-rate, half-hearted care. It's going to be excellent care for missionaries. When he says, in a manner worthy of God, it is a call, my friends, to excellence in missionary care. He speaks here about sending them on their way. Send them on their way. This phrase, sending on one's way, appears nine times in the New Testament. And every single time it appears, it's in a missionary context. And so these are definitely some type of itinerant missionaries. And he says, as you send them, do it in a manner worthy of God. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. It must be done with thoroughness and it must be done seriously. This is a high calling. Titus 3.13, Paul, we see a similar reference to sending missionaries as he writes to Titus. He says to Titus, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Do your best. Send these missionaries on their way in such a way that they lack 
nothing. And it looks like these were marketplace missionaries. At least Zenos was. He was a lawyer. He was doing business as mission. Something you probably heard about as we look to North Africa. Paul charges that sending should be done with diligence so they lack nothing. I think a question that churches who send missionaries should regularly ask themselves is this. Do our missionaries lack? Now there are challenges, incredible challenges on the mission field and caring for missionaries doesn't mean that we can or should remove all the obstacles. It's just not possible. But when a church sends, they need to make sure that the missionaries don't lack what they need to do the work God has raised them up to accomplish. And that's the idea that John is capturing here in 3 John. It must be done with diligence in a manner worthy of God. Friends, this elevates the importance of sending missionaries with excellence as high as it can possibly be elevated. It's profound. He says, send them in a manner worthy of God. I hope you feel the weight of that this morning. John Stott writes about this passage in 3 John. He says, they're not just to be received, but to be refreshed. Such thoughtful sending is not just a loyal thing, it's a beautiful thing. That's why John rejoiced when he heard what Gaius had done. He had done something beautiful. He cared for missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Secondly, I want you to notice from 3 John that care is commanded. So it needs to be complete care. But it is also something that we're commanded to do. Verse 8, Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. John's words here inform us that missionary care is commanded It is not optional. He says we ought to support such men. DSC, I think you know we are commanded by Christ to make disciples of all the nations. I don't think you can sit in these chairs for too long without having that spoken to you over and over and over again. You know that. We are commanded by Jesus to make disciples of all the nations Hudson Taylor said at best, perhaps, he was a pioneer missionary to inland China, and he said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. Likewise, we are commanded by God to care for missionaries. It is not an option. We are commanded by him to care for those that he raises up and sends out. Now, I have encountered many missionaries over my years of doing missions and mobilizing who have been neglected. They have been forgotten on the field. And in some cases, they've even been abandoned by the very churches that sent them. There's a lot of reasons for this, and we don't have time to go into those details. 
It's not always the church's fault, but it's incredibly sad. Let's not be a church that forgets that we have sons and daughters of this fellowship who are serving on the front lines of the war effort, the great war, the greatest cause. And we must remember them in our thoughts, in our prayers. Now, before we move on, I need to unpack something else here in verse eight. It's pretty important, I think. And that is that God has not ordained that everyone be a missionary. That might surprise you. Maybe you've heard you're all missionaries. But God has not ordained that everyone be a missionary. That is, cross a culture, cross a language. We get our word missionary from missio, Latin, which comes from um, a Greek variation of apostle, sent one. And it means to be sent out. God has not ordained that everyone be a missionary. Now, let me say this. I wish more and more of us would pray about the missionary calling. In fact, I kind of think like Charles Spurgeon did. He says the call to go is so clear that we shouldn't be praying if we're called to go, but rather if we're called to stay. So hear me. I believe God is moving on some of you. He's been working in your lives for weeks, months, years to go to the front lines. And I wish more of you would go. However, however, only certain ones should be sent. And I'll touch on this very quickly. John says, therefore, we ought to support such men. We ought to support such men, not just any men. The calling is specific. It is revealed by the Holy Spirit in the context of a local body of believers, just as our missionaries have been validated by the Holy Spirit through the agreement of the elders. There has been a recognition that God was moving in their lives. So, We ought to care for missionaries. It's commanded, but not everyone's called to go. But when they're called to go, we must care for them. Care is commanded. It's not just for some churches. It's not just for the missions-minded few. It's for every church that wants to honor the name of God in the sending of her missionaries. Thirdly, care is crucial. Verse seven, for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They've gone out for God's name. They've accepted nothing. What I have in mind here is that caring for missionaries is crucial to our gospel witness. When missionaries are sent and they lack, they're not receiving proper care. They don't have spiritual covering, financial resources. They're not being undergirded by those who've sent them. Folks, it's a bad witness to the Gentiles. The word here, Gentiles in the original language is ethnikos. Probably reminds you of the word ethne or ethnos. We see that in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, make disciples of all the nations, panta ta ethne. This is a related word. Ethnikos refers to the nations. Don't think nation states, political states, geographical boundaries, but think people groups like the Achi or the Navajo. Think ethnic groups, ethno-linguistic groupings of people. 
Folks, if missionaries lack, then they might end up being a burden to the nations they're trying to reach rather than a blessing. And I think that the implication of this passage is that when missionaries are cared for in a manner worthy of God, they don't need to accept anything from the Gentiles because God is supplying their needs through those who sent them. They're not a welfare case in the people group they're trying to reach. They're a source of blessing because they're being cared for. So care is crucial if our missionaries are to have a good witness among the Gentiles or you could say nations, people groups. For care makes us close. Verse eight. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. When we join God in sending those raised up to be sent out, we become fellow workers for the truth or in the truth, maybe your Bible says. We become partners in history's greatest movement. Care makes us close. When we care for missionaries, we become close. We're not just buddies, but we're friends whose bond of fellowship is forged in the furnace of warfare. Again, this is no small thing. Do you understand that when you care for missionaries, you join with them in the greatest cause, a cause bigger than yourself, bigger than your own interests, bigger than your very life. And as a result, there's a closeness that ensues. You become a fellow worker for the truth. I have friends that I've worked with in ministry, co-laboring with them in missions. And I tell you, we have a bond of fellowship that is unique because our relationship has been built in the trenches of warfare. Number five, and then we'll move to the book of Philippians. Care glorifies Christ. Verses six and seven of third John. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. For the sake of the name, missionaries are sent. This is the whole reason behind the sending and the going. It's not just for lost souls. Folks, we do not do missions principally because people have needs. People have needs, tremendous needs. And that is part of the rationale behind our going. And the gospel is the answer for those needs. But we do missions fundamentally because the name of Jesus is the name above all names. That's why we send. That's why we go. He is worth declaring, worth proclaiming, worth obeying. We go out for the sake of his great name. And when care is done in a manner worthy of him, it brings Christ's glory to bear. Think of the other side of this. When missionaries are receiving shoddy care from the church that sent them, what do you think it says about the gospel they're proclaiming? What does it say? 
What does it communicate to the people that they're reaching out to? It doesn't glorify Christ. When we leave our servants on the field without support. But when we care for them as we ought, we make much of Christ. We make much of the gospel. We make much of the name above all names. John 13, 34 and 35, you may not have considered this a missionary passage, but it is. John says, a new commandment I give to you, or excuse me, Jesus says through John here, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So, Let me ask a question. How do we show the people that our missionaries are trying to reach that we are disciples of Jesus, that they are the disciples of Jesus? We love our missionaries. Now with this knowledge about missionary care at the forefront of our minds, let's turn to the book of Philippians so that we can see what it looks like when this care is expressed. When these truths are now made real, through action, and we see this vividly in the book of Philippians. I want to start by reading verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1. It's a parallel passage of 3 John, actually, in a lot of ways, in meaning and content. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The greatest missionary apart from Christ was Paul. And when he thought about the church in Philippi, he celebrated. Again, this joy was invoked within his heart and he said, God bless them. Do you see a pattern here? Great saints love great missionary care. He says, because of your partnership, I celebrate it and I give thanks to God and I pray that he would further bless you because you are partners with me in the gospel. This church had partnered with Paul in spreading gospel to far-reaching places. In the original Greek, this word is koinonia. I'm sure you've heard it before. But I don't think we grasp the power of this word, partnership. We use it to describe a lot of things these days. Don't mistake this for some meaningless, shallow pat on the back. This is a deep bond of fellowship. Talked about it a little bit in 3 John, but Paul really brings it out here. It's a deep bond of fellowship that comes when self-sacrificing people partner with other self-sacrificing people in a cause bigger than themselves, larger than their own interests. I saw this bond. I witnessed it at a church in New England several years ago. And I think we're going to be experiencing it here again um, in January as we launch our first family in a new way. I was doing a commissioning service at a church in Rhode Island that I had coached. I'd helped them with their mission strategy and they were sending out a family to East Africa just as we're sending out families to North Africa. 
And this was a young family, maybe in their late 20s, early 30s. And they had three little kids in tow. And grandma and grandpa were at this service. And it was a, a really beautiful time. And there was a message that was delivered on the biblical basis for missions. And then the elders came up and it turned into a commissioning service. And I tell you, there was sobbing and weeping in this service. Not just from grandma and grandpa who were concerned about the safety of their grandchildren. And rightly so. They were going to a place that was incredibly hostile to the gospel. And as I'm witnessing this, I mean, it's hard just not to be caught up in the power and the weight of this moment. They are doing something counter-human, counter-cultural. They're sending beloved brothers and sisters, sons and daughters to the front lines where they might not ever return from. And I saw Pastor Rich Chapman over in a corner just bawling his eyes out. And I went over to him and I put my arm around him. I said, Rich, I said, there is a bond of fellowship in this church that is foreign to most churches in America. Because we are not engaged in war. And the pain that you feel is the reason there is so much unity and love in this congregation. There is no time to fight over trivial things like carpet or colors in the foyer because we are sending people to the ends of the earth. I said, the reason there's so much love in this church is because of the sacrifices you are making to send this beloved family to the front lines. Look, if churches are just involved in playing games, they'll have little intimacy. It will be surface. They'll get caught up in trivial things. But churches that wage war together, there's koinonia. Let's take a look at these practical reasons why Paul was so excited about this church in Philippi. First of all, there was hospitality given to those who go. I'm going to give you an acronym here to put this in your pocket. It's the acronym HOPE, H-O-P-E. We're going to start with hospitality. And to really understand the hospitality that this church in Philippi gave to Paul, you have to go to Acts 16. You don't have to turn there right now because you'd have to read a big portion of that scripture. And so I'll just uh, kind of fill in the blanks for you. We learn in Acts 16 about the birth of the church in Philippi. If you remember, this is when we're introduced to Lydia and some others who were gathering to read God's word, but they did not yet have a full revelation of the gospel. So Paul testifies to them. He shares the gospel in full to them and they believe and they repent and they're baptized. And it says that Lydia begged Paul and his fellow workers to come to her house and stay with them. Once again, we don't know all the details here. We've got a little bit of white space. But we know this of Lydia. She was a wealthy merchant. And I have a hunch that when Paul is talking about the church in Philippi and saying, every time I remember you and celebrate, he's probably thinking about Lydia and the birth of the church and the care that he received. She probably cooked a fatted lamb. Maybe she opened up her home. She gave... Paul clothing, resources. She met practical needs. 
Practically speaking, one of the ways you care for our missionaries is you show them incredible hospitality when they're on furlough, when they're visiting. Uh, Write this down. Hospitality is holy work. You want to do some holy work? Then show hospitality to those who've gone out and they've crossed cultures, they've left home, they've sold everything for the sake of the name. Show them hospitality. Remember, they're experiencing things that most of us are not familiar with. They have sacrificed much and they're going undergoing, excuse me, incredible challenges associated with living in hostile places. They're dealing with the stress of cross-cultural ministry, of language acquisition, and they need a measure of care that is exceptional, that's excellent. So refresh them, lavish love on them, show them extreme hospitality. Let me be very practical here. Housing. And maybe with some friends is okay for a while, but they need time to be by themselves without all the distractions that come by living in someone's guest room. The married couples, the husband and wife, we need to come together when they're home on furlough and get them a four-star hotel, send them to Tamaya and give them a basket of goodies and say, we've got your kids, just go be together. Give them a car that works, not some clunker that's about ready to fall apart. Medical needs, dental needs, Again, they're no better. Their calling is not higher per se. It's more challenging. And they need a measure of refreshment that we may, again, not need, that we're not facing the challenges they are. So if this hasn't already happened, there needs to be a team of people that join together to make this happen when our missionaries are on stay. Secondly, offering. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 17. This is the O in the hope offering. And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Part of missionary care is financial support, plain and simple. We've created a welfare mentality when it comes to missions, and it's shameful. Missionaries end up being beggars. And it's our fault. He says, this church shared concerning giving once and again. Don't you think our great missionary cause is worthy of what I would call a lean back offering? Have you heard of lean back offerings? Excuse me, lean, you got this, right? So if you're doing a lean forward offering, you're going for pocket change, right? Lean back is pocket change. I got it reversed. I've blown the joke. (laughs) I'll get it right next service. So lean back is pocket change. This cause is worthy of lean forward offerings. You need to go for the wallet or the pocketbook, not just pocket change. Caring for missionaries in a manner worthy of God is making sure their needs 
our supply. Now, we're a part of a great church and we have intentionally limited our focus. We've said, God, we can't reach every nation. That's not what you've called us to do. We have finite resources. Therefore, our strategic missions initiatives need to focus on a few places and that's exactly what we've done. You don't have a hundred missionaries that you have to look through when you think about what Desert Springs is doing. We've said, we're gonna go deep. We're gonna have strong missionary care. We're gonna invest time, talent, treasure. And with that comes this idea, I think that our missionaries can and should be fully funded. I hope there's not a single person in this church that doesn't take advantage of the opportunity to sow your resources into the missionary efforts of this congregation. If you do, you are missing out. Find a way to give. Three, prayer. Verses Uh, excuse me, chapter one, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Recall, Paul is in prison. He's undergoing some serious challenges. He says, this has worked out for the good of the gospel. And he speaks of the church. You gotta love this. He says, I know He doesn't say, I think, or I hope. He says, I know. I know you're praying for me. And this is what made him celebrate. He knew it. Think of the confidence it will give to our missionaries in Guatemala and North Africa and on the Navajo Reservation and the other few areas we're involved. If they have absolute confidence, there is a church back home that is praying for us. And this is a call to what I call wartime prayer. This is not the daily salute to heaven over the Rice Krispies. God, bless them in Africa, bless them in Guatemala. There's a place for that. Here's what I have in mind. Take an intelligent interest in the lives of our missionaries so that you can have a conversation with God about them, about their needs. You can thank God for the progress. You can mention specific requests. Subscribe to the DSC Missions blog. If you haven't done it already, get on our church website. There's a feed. You wanna know what's going on in the missions world at this church? Subscribe to the feed. Talk to our missionaries. You got some right here from Central America. You got others going out. Talk to them and say, listen, I wanna be on that prayer list and I will take the time to pray for you. Keep me abreast of what's going on with your wife, with your children. Let them know you've got their backs. Talk to Clint Moore who oversees missions here, find out how you can become more involved prayerfully. I'm sure he will give you opportunities. He will point you in the right direction. Pray as a family with your children. Incorporate prayer for our missionaries into the rhythm of your daily time of fellowship with Christ. As a member of this body, if you are a member of this body, Make praying for our missionaries part of your daily rhythm so that our missionaries can say, I know, I know. Finally, the E in hope is encouragement. Chapter two, verses 25 through 30, I will read it to you. 
Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, there's that word, and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me or Some translations say, in your love to me. The church in Philippi sent to Paul while he was in prison, one of the folks in the church. He was not a missionary, he was a servant. But Paul calls him a fellow worker and a soldier. What did he do? He delivered a love gift. He almost died in the process. He got sick along the way. And Paul says, he completed what was lacking in your love for me. Now, at first read, you might think this is an indictment against the church. He completed, church in Philippi, what was lacking in your love for me. Well, we just read that Paul celebrated every time he thought about this church. There's nothing lacking in their love for him. The only thing that was lacking was the delivery of the love in person. If you unpack the original language, that's exactly what it means. Nothing lacking in their love. Just a face-to-face expression of that love. Think of how beaten up he was, how discouraged. Yes, he kept pushing gospel, gospel, saying, God, use this for the gospel. But don't you think that there was times in that cell where he was going, what is going on? And here comes a servant, a soldier, who refreshes him with a love gift. So we at DSC ought to periodically send our very own encouragers to the field to complete what is lacking in our service or love. And nothing should be lacking except the expression of that love face to face. And this is more than short-term mission trips, by the way. I have to emphasize this. I believe in short-term mission trips. If they're done well, I think it can change the life trajectory of those who go. But let's be honest. When you're hosting a short-term team, it's a lot of work as a missionary in a number of ways. So what I'm talking about here is not some PS on a short-term trip. I'm talking about sending some pastors or elders with one expressed goal. Don't try and get pulpit supply, you know, in country and speak. Just go there to love on them. To take them out to dinner, to watch their kids, to pray for them. That is your goal. That's all you got to do. Hope. Missionaries need hope. And they'll get it through the hospitality that we express to them when they're back on stay. They'll get that hope through 
offering, through us making sure they do not lack, through our prayers so that they might say, I know, I know, and through encouragement, sending people out periodically to minister to them. Oswald Sanders said, the special person called to do missionary work is every person who is a member of the church of Christ. The call does not come to a chosen few. It is to every one of us. He doesn't say everyone's called to be a missionary. He says everyone is called to do missionary work. Not everyone is called to the front lines as is um, drawn out in John. But we're all called to be a part of missionary work. And I hope it's clear to you that you have the privilege of participating in this cause. If you are not called to go, and let me say it again, God is working on some of you. He's been at work in your lives for weeks, months, years. And this very message, in fact, is being used by the Spirit of God to awaken something in you. And you need to pray about going. I can't miss that. But again, most of you are not gonna go. And I hope you realize today that you ought to care for those who do. I wanna close with just a few final thoughts from Revelation 7. I'm not gonna turn there. I'm just gonna kind of pull from memory. But in this passage of scripture, we see the great end to which all of history is moving. You wanna know where history is going? Go to the book of Revelation. And in chapter seven, we see this great end We see the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth, sitting upon his throne, and around him are worshipers from all nations, tribes, and tongues. He is receiving the reward of his suffering, the worship of souls from every nation. The Achi people will be there. Do you grasp that? North African people will be there. Navajo peoples will be there. This is the fulfillment of God's great eternal global purpose. And Paul in Philippians chapter four on that passage that was referred to as a giving passage, he says, I don't ask you to give for my sake, but for your sake that it may be credited to your account. Again, speaking of the offering that the church in Philippi had given, and he was asking for another one. And he says, I'm asking not for my sake, I'm not asking you for me, I'm asking me for you. It's in your own best interest to come behind this gospel work because when you get to heaven, there will be a credit to your account. This these series of words here, credit to your account, speaks of the positive side of the ledger. If you're an accountant, that means profit. When you become part of this sending effort, even if you never make it to Guatemala or North Africa, I believe that the joy of the worshiping nations will be part of your inheritance. I believe that their joy will be credited to you in some way if you cared for our missionaries in a manner worthy of God so that they lacked nothing and you enabled them to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I believe that the joy of the people that they won will be shared joy for you. You'll give glory to Christ, but you'll relish the fact that you were a part of that.
You'll see the achi and you'll, you'll give glory to God and say, thank you for letting me be a part of bringing them here or North Africans or wherever. So DSC, let us do well. Let us do well. Let us send those who go in a manner worthy of our great God and King. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. First of all, that we are your boys and your girls. That you have purchased us by your own blood, by the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you have credited to us his righteousness. All of his righteousness counts as our righteousness. All of his punishment, God, counts as our punishment. And if that's all you did, you just saved us, you just made us your kids, God, we'd have occasion to praise you for all eternity. But wonder of wonders, you take us, your sons, your daughters, your boys, your girls, and you invite us into the family business of making disciples of all nations. And then if we were simply faithful to come alongside your servants who go, you will credit to us in heaven, God, the joy of those nations. We will share in their joy in a remarkable way. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.